Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the MBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. As well as new content, we are making available selected podcasts recorded by our hosts prior to joining the MBN family. This is one of them, and so this podcast may refer to itself with a different name and identity. Enjoy the show. The centre of innovation is here, and you know this is part of the message of Project Cashmere of this whole podcast that there's something happening here which is beyond just good value for money. Like I said, having the vision is great, but the key is these concrete initiatives that drive it at the ground level. I think Paulo and those people who are really they do extremely well with very limited resources, and we can take advantage of the really low costs here. You know, Poland is the land of opportunity, and I, and I like to say the East is the new West because you always used to go West in history to find more adventure and danger and prove yourself. There are some good things beginning to happen here in Krakow, but we've got a very long way to go. Good afternoon, good evening, good night, good morning, whatever time of day it is where you're listening, Project Kazimierz. Listener, I've got a very special guest on the show today, uh, John Powell. John, rather than me try to introduce you, which I I would be able to because I've been on your LinkedIn, um, why don't you introduce yourself the way you would if you bumped into someone at a party or a networking event and they asked the question, hey, John, what do you do? Uh, Thanks, Richard. Uh, First of all, kind of pleasure to be here. But yes, the the dreaded or fantastic elevator pitch, depending on how you look at it. Um, yeah, uh, John, John Powell, I would probably describe myself uh, predominantly as an enterprise educator. Uh, and what I mean by enterprise educator is someone that, that works to empower on enterprise and entrepreneurial learning in others. So I, depending on who I'm working, uh, who I'm meeting, I would describe myself in different ways. But an enterprise educator, someone that tries to empower and support others, I'm a bit of a portfolio worker. I'm my day job is at Lancaster University, where I'm head of enterprise and innovation services. I'm chair of a national network within the UK called Enterprise Educators UK, which surprise surprise is all about trying to support enterprise educators to support their learners. Uh, I'm director of the local chamber of commerce because I'm, I'm really keen on the the, the city in which um, I work, which is which is Lancaster in the northwest of England. Uh, and I'm also uh, a small business owner. I started my first company when I was a student studying here at Lancaster University, which is a, a HR consultancy. So I do try and tailor that question depending on who I'm talking to and what I think they want to hear or, or want to get from me or, or how I might be able to help them. But if, if I answer it in one sentence, I, I predominantly say I'm an, I'm an enterprise educator. I try and empower the development of entrepreneurial learning in others. Okay, well, th- thanks for the introduction, and I, I very much do appreciate that, you know, it would be slightly odd at a, a, a social party to answer the question that way, but it gives it gives the main planks. And well, and if someone asks, well, you know, why do you do it? I mean, I, as someone who's devoted a really significant chunk of my life to entrepreneurship, I kind of get it for me, but yeah. maybe your reasons are different, or maybe there are other people out there for whom you know entrepreneurship is like you know that's a sort of TV thing for you know there's enterprise uh, you know things like Dragon's Den or yeah. famous Richard Branson or Elon Musk, and they don't necessarily think they look at you and no, no offense, but they think is he really is he really Elon Musk? Uh, you yeah. Know, and so if someone said, well, why do you do it? What if there was like one thing about entrepreneurship that effectively means you've decided to devote your working life to it what what is it that that attracts you and makes you think it's worthwhile i'll try and answer that in in two ways richard i suppose why why do it uh, i think why why i do it is because it's 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 really important it's about unlocking the potential in in others so that they can have a positive contribution to society to culture to to kind of economic impact and I think uh, enterprise entrepreneurship is a fantastic vehicle for unlocking, unlocking that potential. Ever. So I suppose that's why I do it. But why do I do it? To, to some extent, I kind of fell into this journey. I was a typical student going to university, didn't know where I wanted to go. I, uh, I, I got a part-time job, which was actually working with a self-employed uh, chap in, in the city of Lancaster. We got on really well. And one morning, I woke up and decided I'd try and convince him that we should he should stop being self-employed and we should start this business together. And for some reason, this this fifty-year-old um, man said yes to a nineteen-year-old kid. Uh, and so we so we decided to to start a business together, which was a HR consultancy company, of which I'm not a HR practitioner and have 
no interest in being an HR practitioner. But it, it I suppose, reflecting, it, it always kind of fit quite well with, with my values around supporting people and, and kind of HR. So I was starting a business as a student at university. And so I tried knocking on a few doors and asking for a little bit of help um, to, from a university. And basically didn't get anywhere. There wasn't any help available at that time. What, what it, sort it of a, time scale is it? What, what time so scale? It, this, this is um, 2000, 2001. Okay, so um, a good 15, 20 years ago. We're recording, by the way, we're, we're, we're recording this in 2019. And one of the interesting things about internet content is that someone could be listening to this in 100 years from now. So I, I should say that, um, and you're, you're currently in a country called the United Kingdom, which <laughs> if you look at your history books 100 years from now, which, might Which not, is currently part of the European Union. Let's which is currently part of the European Union. And um, the word united might be stretching, stretching the meaning uh, of the word at the moment without, any, without getting into the politics. And yeah. I'm, I'm in Poland, which is... In in the centre or east of Europe. Um, but anyway, sorry, I, I slightly jumped in there just to give a context. So about 15, 20 years ago, um, you yeah. were knocking on doors, not getting anywhere, trying to get support in terms of grant funding or something like that, was it? Just just trying to get just trying to get someone to hold my hand with me a bit of advice rather than necessarily funding, Richard. But actually, you make a really good point in terms of I mean, what that initial business was all about uh, was actually taking staff handbooks which were uh, you know you had to have one to be legislatively compliant with over five employees in the UK and putting them online that, that was basically the business model back then so that when we were online we could keep them up to date when legislation changes so the companies didn't have to keep keep printing their staff handbooks whenever any change occurred that was in essence the kind of premise and and yeah when you think to where we are now <laughs> It does seem quite strange that, that you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, that was quite novel, but but it was. Um, so that that was that was a kind of driver uh, knocking on doors. Couldn't they, they? Some of the feedback was even, "Don't bother. You're wasting your time. Just get on with your studies." Now, nice, encouraging. Absolutely, and this this was uh, the top-ranked management school in the country at that time, and, yeah, what, and still what, a fantastic. What, so, management sorry, school. sorry to cut in there, John. What were you studying? What was your, uh, your... I was studying an undergraduate degree in management at, at Lancaster University Management School. And um, as I say, I think it was just quite unusual then for, for students to be starting businesses. Things have changed fundamentally, and, and you know, I'll, I'll come on to what that kind of landscape looks like now, maybe later. Um, but even, eventually I did get someone who thought I wasn't absolutely crazy uh, and actually ended up giving me um, access to the uh, database of all the home addresses for every student studying at the university. And so I wrote them all a letter and asked them if they were interested in starting a business, because I was, and did they want to help me on this journey? Uh, and that ended up in me starting the Entrepreneurship Society, so Student Society at the university, which was, we think, the first in the country at that time. And now pretty much every university is in the UK as a, a kind of entrepreneurship society. So, so that's, so I'll kind of answer the question in terms of why I think it matters. And that's why I'm really involved in enterprise education. Because I went through that journey, I was a student looking to start a business. I saw it being a really positive thing, uh, and back then it wasn't necessarily seen by the universities as being positive. And so, since then, it's almost been my mission to change that mindset, to change that approach. And actually, we, we're in a completely different place to where we were back then in terms of enterprise education and universities and colleges and schools in the education sector. Whereas now, it's very much seen as a positive destination, and we're starting to change the mindset. But actually, it's not just good because people are starting businesses, but it's also developing them as and their potential, whether they go on to start a business or go into work in the private sector, small business, large business, public sector, it doesn't matter. An entrepreneurial workforce is a positive contributing workforce that's going to make things happen. So, so that's a long-winded answer to, to why. So why? Because I think it's a good thing. And, and why me? Because of those experiences. That's, that's very interesting. And it's a very interesting parallel that... Um, one of the reasons I got interested in supporting entrepreneurship in schools was because there was so little of that when I was at school. I remember yeah. to this day there were two classes in my entire university and school education to do with entrepreneurship, and I remember them both quite well. And it's not the time to go into the detail, but I was teaching yeah. teaching a new group in the MBA course, uh, which is a weekend evening course for people who've got day jobs as an executive MBA um, and it was a new group, and I was asking them why they thought I would be devoting my Sunday, my Sunday, 
to teaching entrepreneurship, and I, I had time then to explain the whole, the whole story. But, but quite often it's, it's doing something that was missing for you is quite a driver because you're, you're solving the problem that you're aware of as, yeah. as you go about it. But ju- just to go back a bit earlier, and we'll get on to more about the, the details of your current um, activities in a moment and your business, which is very interesting. But when you were a teenager or growing up, you mentioned that you hadn't had this um, sort of sense you would be self-employed or start your own company until you just woke up one morning. So what were, were, were your family and um, what were your sort of family influences? Because sometimes people say, oh, yeah, my dad or my mum mm. was an entrepreneur. So it was natural, but it doesn't sound like that was the case for you. No, not at all. I, I didn't really realize it was a thing. It sounds really silly, doesn't it? But I didn't, I, I wasn't aware of anyone that had started a business. I wasn't really in terms of friends and family. wasn't aware of anyone that even worked in a small business. Uh, my mum worked in the public sector. My dad was a miner uh, and then worked for a, a medium-sized en- engineering business. So small business never really entered my consciousness until university. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you, you, you mentioned there, Richard, in terms of experiences maybe in, in the classroom. I can't remember any experiences of school of being exposed to the, the entrepreneurship. The closest we got was around economics and buying and trading shares mm-hmm. uh, which which is which isn't about startups and, and kind of entrepreneurship it, it was about the stock market so no it, it really was um it, it really was a kind of bang my head moment i suppose um i knew i knew about uh, the theory of entrepreneurship when, when i got to university there were courses on on the theory of entrepreneurship but they were certainly teaching about not teaching for and certainly not teaching through so maybe that opened my eyes a little bit, but you know, I could I could start a business, but it was never something I had the exposure to, and, and and never something that was a kind of lifelong dream or aspiration. Uh, okay, well that that that's really really interesting. And for anyone listening um, to this, obviously the fact that someone's listening to this show suggests that perhaps they're interested in innovation and entrepreneurship, but. There's no one history. Sometimes people who are very, quite often you look at entrepreneurs and they've had some difficulty in their childhood or, you know, they come from a poor background or a very challenged background or perhaps they're privileged but were kind of discriminated or bullied or whatever. Mm. And, you know, their drive to do something in their life is fighting against something. Mm. Uh, And so, you know, sometimes people who have the, the worst background have the highest level of motivation, at least you can observe that. And so that's why sometimes immigrants are like the, make some of the best entrepreneurs like there's the famous Gary Vaynerchuk came from a very poor Belarusian Jewish family that immigrated to the United States and you know it was adversity that set him up for the work culture without that doesn't sound you know but you had like a sounds like relatively normal and one day you woke up and thought I'm good but then you did this thing of persuading a 50 year old to go into business with you which is which is unusual although as as someone who's 52 you know, the idea of finding someone of a, you know, more than half my age who's highly motivated, who could be a partner, could be attractive in terms of you can be aware you lack the energy as an older person. Not that, not that I do, but, you know, this idea of sort of like sh- getting a share of someone with tons of energy and mm-hmm. their whole life ahead of them could be very attractive. But, but you obviously realized you needed someone else to do it. Why, why, and, you know, that sense of when the opportunity comes along is I try and teach a sense of, there's a concept in the army of battle readiness, like being ready to go to war. And I, t- I teach and try to encourage people to think of being entrepreneur opportunity ready in the sense that you need to be in good shape in terms of your finances and particularly yeah. your relationships so that if an, op- an opportunity comes along, you're not in a situation where you say, oh, no, I can't because, you know, I've got a, I've got a jealous boyfriend, a needy girlfriend, I'm, I've yeah. got tons of consumer debt. But you were somehow in a conditions where, you could persuade that guy that you were to go into business with him. But why did you need him? Why, why didn't you just go it alone? What was your sense there that you needed him? Well, I, I, I certainly felt like I kind of needed him. Coming back to, to that point about opportunity, because lots of us have ideas all the time, but having business opportunities, no, we're not. Because if you've not got the right contacts, the right funding, the right knowledge, you're not in the, right, the right part of the country, all those stuff, unless everything falls into line, it's not necessarily an opportunity for you. And, and I think I, I needed Malcolm, my business partner, because he had the experience, the expertise, the reputation. He was a published author in this field. He had that credibility. Uh, and yeah, I think looking back now, it kind of does make perfect sense from his perspective. It just at the time didn't seem to make sense from, from my perspective. But we were a very good team. He had all that expertise of contacts. I had the energy 
uh, I was fairly smart and I had the kind of nous and, and had the hard work and the time to, to kind of put into it and to, and to do the research and, and, you know, some skills I'd obviously developed from my education, the research skills, et cetera. I was a good networker. I was a good, good communicator. So when I reflect now, of course, it does seem to make sense. But at the time, it, it seemed a little bit unusual. It seemed a little bit odd to me. Uh, and, and coming back, Richard, to your point earlier about where entrepreneurs come from, and of course, at university, we all study about how we're born or made. But uh, and sometimes I think you're right. Adversity can really kind of make the individual there. And, and one of the common traits we do see around entrepreneurs is around that resilience, that drive to to, to overcome challenges. Because if you, you know if you're going to give up easily, then starting your own business is is not necessarily the right thing for you. So that's one of the things when we work with students, graduates, or other people, it is trying to make sure they're aware that we really do need that drive and that resilience around kind of starting the business. And again, maybe that's something that Malcolm saw in, in me. I had that drive, determination, resilience. I was willing to, to graft uh, and, and, as I say, had the kind of time to do it. So we did make a good team, uh, but at the time it seemed unusual to me. But when I, I look back now, I can I can certainly see how, how that was possible. And, and, of course, those diverse individuals with different skills, backgrounds, is what makes good teams. If we're all the same, then, then, then we wouldn't make a good team. And that's what you need from a, a kind of startup offering. So, uh, so yeah, so it was a really, it was a fantastic experience. It's still, so it's a small business. It's, it's not a, a fantastic high growth, you know, I, I won't kid you, uh, but it's uh, it's employed local graduates from Lancaster University. It's sustained itself for, for a number of years. Uh, it's something that I'm still very passionate about, uh, meet, meet with the, the, the team on a, a regular basis. Uh, but I'm not necessarily in the business. I tend to work more on the business. Yeah, well, uh, but it was it was a great great experience. It still is. Yeah, no, no. I mean, the, the concept of working on the business or in the business is fundamental. And you know, right now I'm mentoring a couple who you know they're very much engaged in their business and being a bit puzzled about how they can scale it, which is a great. Yeah. I and mean, it's very smart of them to be thinking about this. But you know, I was saying one of the questions you have to ask is if you're paying someone to do what you're doing, would you be making a profit at all? And if the answer is not. You've got a souped-up job, really, rather than a business, because it's not. An, and also, you can't sell it because, effectively, if you're part of the business and you sell it, you have to stay part of the business. You yeah. can't. It's going yeah. to collapse. But that's a separate topic. I just, but just um, you you meant you raised this age-old question: Are entrepreneurs born, not made? And I remember Shay, the director of the Centre for Entrepreneurial Learning at Judge Business School in Cambridge, where I did a short course over a decade ago. Um, was saying that, you know, when people tell him that entrepreneurs are born, not made, he says, well, what do you think I'm doing with my life? I'm, I'm teaching, <laughs> you know, if what, if you're right, my life doesn't exist, you know, I don't yeah. have a purpose. And, you know, I think I think it's, a, the way I explain it is there's two things, and I've discovered this very recently, just as I'm getting more and more engaged with people in business schools, not all of whom by any means want to be entrepreneurs. A lot of them are trying to set themselves up for, you know, for life in in big companies and multinationals and partly to pay back the, 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 the huge fees associated. But, you know, I, I say at one level, it's a bit like running. You know, everyone's born with their natural athletic ability from absolutely hopeless to naturally brilliant with a kind of bell distribution, mm. a Gaussian distribution towards the norm of the average person. And you can take anyone anywhere on that curve and with the right training and coaching, you can push them along a bit. But I think the the thing that's more interesting is the idea of changing mindsets, which is because because entrepreneurship isn't an individual game; it's a it's a team game. Team. And so, you know, if you can get people aware of the of the, and I, I was quoting, there's a case of the first circle in uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's first circle, where there's a guy who's being sent to a slave labor camp in the Soviet Union, and he says, "I can invent a radio-controlled torpedo and contribute to the Soviet." the Soviet uh, war effort. So don't send me to the slave labor camp where I'll die. Send me to a military, a military research prison camp. And in fact, he doesn't have any of the skills, but he puts a team together. And, you know, that, yeah. for, for me, the, the self-awareness that you don't actually need to be good at any one thing to be a successful entrepreneur, even in the domain of whatever it is, you know, pizzas or stockbroking or whatever. Of course, it helps if you've got a core skill associated with that. But if you can, if you know you don't have that sales skills or that coding skill, and your first step is find someone who does have the skills, then then that's very liberating because then you realise, well, I don't need to be an anything to be an entrepreneur. Just need to have an awareness, the awareness that I don't need to be good at any one thing. 
is is part of it. So 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 I, I think that that sounds like yeah. But you're, you, when you're teaching entrepreneurship, what what do you what do you because are you teaching many entrepreneurs or or students? Who's your target group in your in your sort of entrepreneurship education role, or do you have multiple target groups? So, so multiple target groups, really. So I, I have a team here at Lancaster University, for example, um, and with an operational lead. So I, I don't spend much time in, in the classroom or working with students one-on-one uh, anymore. I'm not creating the environment for, for others to, to enable that to happen. Um, I'd, I'd say it's mostly co- or extracurricular. So actually a lot of what we're doing is trying to engage with the student body through various channels, whether it's trying to engage with them by um, using enterprise education to help with their employability. And a lot of the time, actually, the language can be really challenging, Richard. We don't always talk about entrepreneurship. Uh, we don't always talk about enterprise. We might, might talk about freelancing. We might talk about um, making money for your passions, interests, and hobbies. And we try and engage people that, that have that energy and try and, set, and try and put in place the support infrastructure around them so that they could, if we chose, channel that into a a new project, a new social enterprise of a new business. Because for us, it's not actually about the amount of businesses that we pump out of the university at the end of the day. It's about, as you said, it's about taking people on that journey a little bit. One part of the scale is moving them along so that they can go out and whether it is to start a business now or in five years or just go into the public sector and be really brilliant at what they do and, and, and really creative and innovative. You know, that, that's a kind of win for us because it's a positive contributor to, to kind of culture, society and, and the economy. So different kind of channels, different activities. Sometimes there might be quite intensive startup boot camps, people that have demonstrated an entrepreneurial intent. Uh, other times it might be doing silly things like we have a 3D sweet printer and we do workshops around how you can use that and innovation and creativity around what, you, what sort of 3D suites you can print for Valentine's Day and get people involved that way and then say, okay, well, where, where could be a market for this? And just getting them to think about the things around them and how entrepreneurship plays a role in, in making making life uh, for everyone hopefully kind of better. And so we engage them in different ways. Sometimes it, it is supporting the curriculum and embedding something in the, in the curriculum. We have a creative enterprise programme where arts and social science students are, are going out and running um, running a, a, an event for a, a community group, trying to raise money for a charity by running a, a, an event for that group. So we're going through the process of ideation, of planning, of making it happen, of reflecting. And so we're having an entrepreneurial experience while it's, it's part of their curriculum. But it, it might we might never want to start a business. That doesn't matter. Again, it's going to move them, move them on and help them with uh, developing their self-efficacy and, and their kind of entrepreneurial capacity and mindset even if it doesn't result in an entrepreneurial intent and an entrepreneurial startup outcome. So, so we do kind of multiple things and, and, and actually it's, you know, there's a thick end of that pipeline where we engage as many people as possible and a thin end of the pipeline, thin end of the pipeline where we are supporting people with maybe tech startups and VC funding and introductions and all those sorts of things. And we, but we work across that and kind of manage that whole ecosystem on campus uh, and try and try and allow the universities a kind of, anchor in the city to support that entrepreneurial culture wider in the city so that, that's really the kind of next challenge that's entrepreneurship 2.0 uh, from from a university and enterprise education perspective is yeah actually most universities are really getting a good handle on enterprise entrepreneurship education on campus curricula next curricula but how do we evolve that into engagement and engaging better with our local community and society around enterprise and entrepreneurship as a vehicle to do good so that's that's where that, my focus is, is starting to shift. Uh, hopefully, in the next few years. Okay, so so you're so effectively you're in you're available to all the faculties of the university to sort of inject entrepreneurship into the things they're doing anyway. So it could be lingu- yeah. linguists looking at translation, or it could be you know artists looking at commercialising how to do something with their art, or musicians how to how to make a a business out of music or comedians it's a right absolutely and that's really interesting that is is that unusual and is was was what you're doing in Lancaster kind of pioneering are you is that something that's normal for every university in the UK or are you are you a bit of an outlier and as a reference for what can be done because I have to say I haven't come across that here in Poland and it certainly didn't exist in in Cambridge many years ago when I was a student although that may have changed I'm, I'm sure it has. It's, it's becoming the normal. Uh, and, and by no means would I say Lancaster is absolutely cutting edge on this. You know, we've learned lots of good practice from elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's why 
uh, networks, companies uh, like Enterprise Educators UK exist so that we can kind of share that good practice and, and for, for EUK, the members are the universities, the universities are paying to join, the community are the enterprise educators at those institutions and it's all about sharing practice to increase the, the scope, scale and effectiveness of, of those interventions, that enterprise education. So we're all learning from each other and it's all very collegiate, which, which is fantastic mm-hmm. because I think and lo- lots of people that in, engage in this sort of activity and become enterprise educators have fairly probably a similar value set that we're doing it because we want to develop the potential of others and we see enterprise as a vehicle for doing so. So so Lancaster's good, but there's a lot of other universities that are very good too. Uh, and and you know the, the mission of EUK is to shine a light on a good practice and, and, and to help bring others along on that journey uh, and celebrate and, and grow and, and influence policy, hopefully, so that there's even more strategic drivers for, for enterprise education at HE, sorry, higher education, at further education, college, and then hopefully more in schools because that's something that's maybe behind other parts of the world. But I think at the, at the university level, the UK is doing pretty well. Yes, and um, so and, and I, I don't know what, whether, in a few words, if you talk about the history of it, when, when did this start? Are, are there particular sort of landmark because it would take some it takes some resources right i mean it's, it's it takes some resources and some sales skills to persuade you know because it's all very well to say it's available but the other faculties have to have to want it and was or, or be compelled to do it and being compelled isn't always the best yeah. <laughs> the, the best way to create goodwill and success so what was it like a, a government policy at the center or was it some visionary you know vice chancellors or university directors who thought thought you know this really matters for the potential of uh, our organization our university and so where, where did this idea come from because it sometime between when i left and now this obviously took hold untypically it's a bit of all of the above and um, so the, there has been a, a policy push uh, and, and that keeps keeps being revisited on, on a regular basis. We've just been working with the all-party parliamentarian group for, for enterprise on a new report around enterprise education about you know, how we can push on further. Um, but yeah, there's, there's been lots of kind of research and kind of policy of this over the years, but that policy has never been directive. It's never been to universities saying you must do this. Uh, uh, but what it has been is it's, 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 it's been tweaking around the edges, it, you know, we're asking to measure certain things at certain points. And of course, sometimes what gets measured and reported is, is then where the strategy follows. So that's been a lot of the direction in, in, in the UK. Uh, and also the, really the kind of the, the emergence of the things, organisations like Enterprise Educators UK that's been running for about uh, 14, 15 years. It started off as UK SEC, so it's all about kind of science and technology, but it's it's evolved across 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 the campuses in the, in the UK now, uh, and actually we've we've been looking at international links and, and looking at enterprise education and, and doing networks existing in other countries in other parts of the world, but other parts of the world like we did in the UK. We went out to Japan a couple of years ago. I'm going out to to China in a couple of months to speak at a conference there, and, and at the moment those kind of networks of, of kind of um, communities helping each other on the journey don't really exist. Uh, but we think it's been fantastic in the UK, the, the, the growth in the community. You know, we have, we have two and a half to three thousand people that engage with the UK uh, in terms of maybe reading the newsletter, attending events, coming to our conference every year. Uh, it's, it's a growing community and, and we, we think that can really help and, and happen in other countries. So, we, so we're trying to support planting those seeds and maybe it's helping the development of the community to drive themselves forward in other countries. Because we do get 50, 60 delegates come to our conference in the UK, international delegates come to our conference in the UK. So there's, there's an appetite there and uh, there's an awful lot of great research, um, but we there's not necessarily always the policy drivers. Or in, Ch- in China, there's a huge policy driver towards enterprise ed- education. That's now mandatory. So there's, there's almost a pull from China now. So they are trying to pull, pull people in and pull experiences in to try and kind of support them to upskill their, their educators. So, so policy can work. But also, the grassroots can be really, really powerful. It might just take a little longer to get there. But when it does get there, it's sustainable. Whereas policy is not always sustainable because you might have a change in, change in direction. Yeah, we, obviously, we, we have show notes. And so anyone listening to this, uh, listening to this look, on, look in the notes. And when it goes online, we'll add, add these. But we'll obviously have a link into Enterprise Educators 
UK and a link to your conference, but maybe, maybe you could do a little advert for the conference. Because, you know, if, if this podcast can be a, just a, a tiny contribution towards spreading the word about what you're mm -hmm. doing, you know, that would be very valuable. Um, uh, and I'd, I'd love, to, love to think that someone shows up at your conference and learns something that they can apply somewhere at some stage in the future would be a terrific thing. So if you could do a little shout out for your conference now and also maybe describe the sorts of people who really fit in and benefit from, yeah. from attending uh, and what the purpose is, of always the why question, what the purpose is. I'm sure it's about spreading good practice because you've already mentioned that, but, but what sort of people show up and why should they come? So my elevator pitch, of course, uh, I'll just have to, if you, the, the eager eye to lunch, they just told me, look to my left, I was looking at my calendar so I could check the dates. Uh, so it, it's been uh, the, the 2019 conference is at Oxford Brooks University between the 4th and the 6th of September 2019. Uh, they'll, they'll typically, in terms of conference, be three to 400 delegates. We're actually expecting it'll be a 400-ish delegate conference uh, this time around. And as I say, it's quite diverse. It's mostly UK, but we're probably under with 50, 60, 70 international delegates. Who attends? Um, it's, it's a mix of kind of almost three groups. Uh, it, it could be um, academic uh, teachers, researchers, uh, so people are predominantly teaching the curriculum about enterprise or, or entrepreneurship or teaching through uh, enterprise and entrepreneurship, mainly in the curriculum. It could be practitioners. So when we're talking about practitioners, we probably mean people that are predominantly working outside the curriculum. They may be startup advisors. They may be based in a career service. They may be running an incubator at a university. So they're, they're, they're mainly outside the curriculum, but still supporting the development of, of enterprise learning in, in the students, graduates, or, or kind of local community. Or the third group of the kind of influencers, so senior managers of the university or heads of department that have a portfolio around enterprise entrepreneurship innovation. And, and we've, we've recently, actually the last conference in, in 2018, launched our fellowship, which is around about accreditation, so it's, it's peer-reviewed. Individuals apply for it to apply to get the letters after their name as an, an EUK fellow, and they apply against one of those three groups, against the, the, the academic, the, the practitioner, or the influencer, because we think that reflects that reflects our community. Uh, and so what's it about? You, you kind of hit the nail on the head, Richard. It is about sharing good practice, shining light on good practice. We obviously have international keynotes, national keynotes, we have parallel sessions of workshops where people can present their practice, present their research, present their results and their impact. Uh, and then we have the, the usual in terms of lots of people exhibiting their wares around enabling enterprise education, the tools, the simulations, the techniques. And, and other than that, it's, it's about fantastic networking and lots of fun. Uh, and it's a, a really, really fun conference where people get to catch up with others, make, meet new people. And, and as, 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 as most conferences in, in the kind of sector, a lot of it is actually about meeting someone from a different institution that has the same challenges and issues that you do. So you can buddy up, so you can exchange contact details. So you, you realise you're not on your own and you've got someone to speak to that might be outside of your team, your group, mm -hmm. uh, around the challenge that you face and, and how you might might be able to overcome it. So... Yeah, that's that's the power of the conference. That's the power of the network. Uh, and during the year, that network is supported by regular, roughly once a month enterprise exchange events, which are thematic and hosted by our member organisations on a theme. It could be a creative enterprise. It could be the tier one graduate entrepreneurship visa, something specific, something more general around enterprise education. So that's that's really the conference. Uh, if you're an enterprise educator, practitioner, academic or influencer, uh, it's it's one not to miss. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what is it expensive? Do you need to be fabulously wealthy to show up? <laughs> no, it's it, it's quite reasonable. Uh, I, 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 we've not announced the pricing for this year. There's a discount if you come from a member organisation of EUK. Mm -hmm. So there's roughly a 25% discount if you work for one of those organisations. Uh, but it, it'll be in the, it'll be in the region of, sort of five to seven hundred pounds for the for three day conference fees. Mm -hmm. um, and plus accommodation and kind of travel if you are traveling internationally, which is kind of on a path of a three-day conferences of this kind of elk. Yeah. Uh, and there's, there's the usual gala dinner, obviously all your food's included uh, during the days, etc. Mm -hmm. But it's, as I say, it's, it's, one, it's one not to miss if enterprise education is really your thing. Yeah, no, obviously if someone's devoting their, devoting their professional life to it, these are opportunities to make what you do 
more and a it's sort of fun but it's more importantly useful it's going to improve mm-hmm. the quality of what you do no that's very interesting I, i'm just wondering whether there might I, I, it's a, perhaps a conversation we could have another time whether what i'm doing might be something that i could improve by by coming along but that brings me neatly up but that's maybe we won't do that now because i need to okay. um, think think a bit about that but i'm particularly interested and there's two areas that i've got interest in one is the role of alumni of organizations in supporting entrepreneurship teaching. I, I've set up something called CAM Entrepreneurs, which is for alumni of Cambridge University who are in business. And the general background is a, a, a noting that Europeans are much less good at mobilizing alumni networks than Americans in general. Yeah. And part of the problem is that in the UK, it's seen very much as a as a fundraising, the reason to engage with alumni is fundraising, which is actually not a very nice meeting to attend. You know, yeah. if you show up and this is, my dad used to teach in uh, a university and, and he, his, uh, he said the atmosphere of the begging bowl t- takes the fun out of a party. And, you know, it's true. You know, if, if you know that you're going to be tapped, it, whereas if you start with creating value for the alumni around the fact that you've, you've got a shared interest with the other people from the place you've studied, maybe not chronologically very importantly, but around a shared interest. Of course, you feel better about about that place and might be more generous in the long run. But one is um, in terms of mobilizing alumni. And the other is the idea of entrepreneurs being actively engaged in the teaching of entrepreneurship. And I'm, the second one first, maybe, and do, do you have any observations about what goes well and badly when you get a, a businesswoman or a businessman who's you know who's keen to help, but they aren't mm. necessarily a trained teacher um, mm. coming into a coming into a university classroom or school setting um, with good intentions, who has the objective of helping teach entrepreneurship? Do you think it works? And when it works, why does it work? And when it goes wrong, what goes wrong? I, I think there's an enormous amount of value in it in terms of engaging entrepreneurs uh, in, in teaching whether that's within the curriculum or outside the curriculum in terms of adding value to potential startups or individuals on their journey tremendous value but the challenge is how how you harness it in the right ways so that it that adds value back to that individual but adds, adds value to the learner too so what the model that I have seen work very well, and actually Lancaster is, is a kind of good example of this, is, is having more kind of formalised mechanisms for, for those individuals. So we have a, a fairly large entrepreneur in residence programme with around about 40 to 50 entrepreneurs in residence. But now, coming back to your previous point around alumni, some of them are alumni of the university, but all of them are alumni of the university community. Mm-hmm. So they, they've probably received some sort of support from the university in the past as a business owner, leadership being on one of our leadership development programs. We've received support through uh, one of our science and technology projects, uh, maybe around virtual prototyping, just one example, or environmental science and, and, and um, um, low carbon. So we've probably received, received some fairly intensive support from the university and wanted more than, and, and we, we felt as an institution they kind of fit with, with, with us. So we've invited them to become entrepreneurs in residence. And over time, that's become a little bit more formal. So there's, there's almost a kind of contract of understanding there, whereby entrepreneurs in residence would be expected to come in and contribute to the curriculum of, of X number of hours uh, a year, would be expected to mentor particular students, if startup businesses, etc. And then alongside that, we might do some kind of training and managing the expectations. Because, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of tremendous value, what really adds value to those individuals is, is real-world experiences, challenge-based learning. And that's the sort of thing that your entrepreneurs, entrepreneur residents, if you, if you coin that phrase, can, can really support with because they can set real-world challenges on their businesses. And if you've got a long-term relationship with the university, if it doesn't work out per- perfectly, they'll probably forgive you and they'll keep coming back. So... So the entrepreneur in residence sort of program has, has worked really, really well at Lancaster. I've seen good examples kind of elsewhere at other universities, Leeds, Leeds being one. Leeds are actually fantastic at engaging their, their alumni and, and, and also asking them to open a checkbook on occasion. Uh, but, but doing that after having a long-term symbiotic relationship with, with that organisation. So you know, those relationships can exist, uh, you know, but they can be symbiotic. The business can really benefit from talented graduates, can really benefit from um, uh, challenge-based learning of students working on particular projects and coming up with, with, with solutions that they may choose to implement or not. Um, 
And an EIR model, I think, is a good way to kind of harness that relationship within a, a kind of framework and structure that, you know, is coordinated and, and managed by an individual or, or team at the institution. So, yes, I think we really can have teaching, but I think it works best if it's done within that sort of framework. Otherwise, it's a little bit piecemeal. It depends very much on individual relationships and academics move and then the, the relationship moves with them, for example. If you have something a little bit more formal that might have an element of induction, uh, an expectation, then I think you have a better long-term relationship for both the university and the uh, external entrepreneur. No, that's a, that's a very very sort of full answer, and thank you for that. Because I, one of the things I've noticed is that you know there's an event we do here called Krakow Enterprise Mondays where we get uh, the certain uh, sort of uh, what what you might call center points of the experience partly based on the my experience in the TEDx community it's short presentations on the basis that people's attention spans have really yeah. shrunk these days yeah. and you you it's not going to be successful you give people a 40 minute lecture usually yeah. these days so you say make it short and then it's speaking to a format and the danger of just giving an entrepreneur the microphone is that if they're not you know, with the best of intentions, if their business is based around, I don't know, making promotional playing cards or whatever it is, people don't show up to hear about that. And because mm. it's the, that guy's life, the danger is he's going to talk way too much about the specific thing his business does, which mm. and the, the audience aren't potential customers. So it's not it's not that interesting. But if it's more about the process, it's like, so the typical for questions we ask are like who are you what do you do what lessons have you learned and what advice would you give a student you know and, and then then that's my, that's a kind of that's a sort of insurance policy against a, a sort of a guy who's going to just show off about yeah you know, and it's obviously very and the other thing is like in terms of format is what we call the office hours where uh, this is something I learned from someone else's conference a Poland 2.0 conference where all the speakers get a table so that people who are shy to there may be people who want to ask questions but they're a bit shy to ask a question in mm -hmm. front of everyone because they don't want to look stupid in front of their their classmates or that because they might ask a very simple question um but if they can meet people one on one round a table or in a small, then they'll, yeah. they'll they'll so you make the, the you make the entrepreneurs presenting accessible so, but so partly it's format in terms of what they talk about sometimes it's like literally the ergonomics and design of the event space is critical mm -hmm. um and and then the, but then the other the other thing is um sometimes saying teach to a curriculum so don't just say talk about whatever you want to talk about but tell us about fundraising tell us about sales tell us about hiring because they've got as you said the real world experience that they can deploy so they know the theory maybe maybe they don't uh, but it's actually very it's very credible so so that so that's one thing and in terms of the you know in terms of the alumni network um do, do you um do you do you share my feeling that this is a sort of underutilized undertapped resource do you think there's a, just take it lancaster just if you speak in your own personal experience mm -hmm. are, are you in the careers office actively reaching out to alumni and does it work and if it does how do you make it succeed and uh, just to kind of answer the previous point of answer that question richard yeah i agree in terms of the kind of pedagogies and the way you set up the room are really really important and and, and actually yeah we've, we've taken almost the same technique petra kucha presentation yep. six minutes and then go and sit on the table that does work really well so so you know I, I would absolutely kind of concur with that and that's something i learned many years ago and i've rolled out over and over and over again because it's so impactful uh, in, in terms of the uh, the oh sorry actually i was going to make another point there as well the one lecture that did stick in my head, now this was within the curriculum around entrepreneurship, was a lecture on failure. There was an entrepreneur sat there on the edge of tears for nearly 50 minutes talking about how it all went wrong. Mm. And, uh, and that was fantastic, absolutely amazing. It was almost heartbreaking to watch, but absolutely fantastic. And, you know, it, it wasn't in any way intended to, to put you off but it, it was intended to just kind of highlight, you know, what went wrong in that individual circumstances, what you need to be prepared for to think about holistically when you are thinking about starting a business. It was a, it was a fan, fantastic lecture, actually. Uh, not necessarily something I do on a start of boot camp, but, but was really good in the curriculum. And that was definitely within, I can't remember what the course was, but definitely fit within the, the kind of course program and the learning outcomes. Mm. Sorry, so, so answering the question around alumni, uh, yes, I think I agree from what I've seen of the European universities and certainly the UK universities, most of them, we are great at engaging our alumni on the enterprise education agenda. Unfortunately, 
uh, motion of this is um, the way they set up is they will have an alumni team who feel that they own and manage all of those alumni relationships and they will have a series of KPIs, which funnily enough are usually linked to money. Uh, so it can be very difficult. So we, we, it's difficult for us to circumvent that unless we've got our own kind of relationships. And even then, we're, we're kind of expected to to engage with alumni team, which we do well. You know, we do work very closely with them. But unfortunately, uh, you know, having one of our strategic drivers, which is around raising money, means that is the top priority. So the top priorities, you might, be, you know, other people may say it's about the long term relationship with that individual. But as soon as you start asking them to open the checkbook. Uh, uh, then I think you you kind of lose a lot of them along the way. So uh, from the enterprise education perspective, then we do have a group of mentors uh, that, that we utilise. Uh, many of them are alumni of the university. Most of them, if they're alumni of the university, they're alumni of our service. So the people that we've supported that have gone on to start a business, that are happy to give up their time to then work with the, the students and graduates now because uh, they're five, ten years down the line. And they're usually the more impactful case studies when you're Elon Musk or you're Richard Branson. Because how on earth can I get there? But I, I can be Dave, who was studying uh, in environmental sciences last year, who's running his own business. You know, I, 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 I could be Dave. So, so yes, we, we utilise alumni in that way. Um, but I think overall, as, as, as institutions in the UK, I think we could be better... Um, but I, I think, this is a personal opinion, uh, I do think that then having the strategic driver that, that there is a pound sign attached to that KPI does mean that that tends to be what the relationship is seen as being beneficial to the university from the university's perspective, not about kind of giving back into the university in, in other ways. Whilst, of course, they, we do, but as soon as you attach a pound sign to it, that becomes the, the first thing people look at on your KPI dashboard. Yeah, it's interesting. I completely sign off on everything you said there, John. But apart from that, one of my little lifelong irritations is this concept of giving back because giving back implies I took away, you know, and and, and I, I would say that particularly in entrepreneurship, if you if you created a product, you paid your tax, you created jobs, you risked a lot. It, I mean, yes, it's sharing is sharing your good fortune if it works out but it's not giving back it's not a it's not a cake you took a slice out of no. uh, so when i say giving back i'm not really the giving back is time is, yeah. is expertise it's helping people yeah. Uh, yeah so when i talk about giving back yeah i don't mean money but that, that that's what probably you know if you spoke to someone in love 19 that would be the first thing that exactly. they think and, and, i mean no I'm, I'm, i know it's exactly the language it's the, the language they use and but the, the other thing that i'm just, we've got time we've got about another um, ten minutes now because um, we booked for five and uh, um, that's the um, uh, but but there are a couple of other things. One is the challenge of the difference between the journey and the snapshot. That some one of the values of mixing up alumni. Um, who are at different stages of the entrepreneurial journey and entrepreneurs, who again, like entrepreneurs aren't all a single entity. You mm -hmm. get the guy who's really struggling and the, the woman who's fabulously successful and wealthy and has already made it and sold two companies. But it's quite a challenge when you're teaching even a body of students that their starting points are so different that for some of them, they may have already, you know, have a stall on Kickstarter, a project, a stall on eBay and, uh, be a success. They're actually they're in business already and interested yeah. in developing and other people you know have yet to consider even starting and um how how do you and equally among the alumni you might get some very talented hard-working person who spent 20 years in the police has had a good good career in the police but had that feeling i want to go into business now and you know she's had a great you know professional training but they aren't at the beginning. They're right, right at the beginning of their entrepreneurial journey, and someone else mm. who might be younger but more experienced. And how do you deal with that difference in starting point if you're if you're going into environments with sort of like entry level courses? Because it must be quite a challenge for you sometimes. Uh, diagnostic approach is, is really the kind of key. So in terms of our, our service to our students, our graduates, our staff, the first thing we do is sit down with them one on one and try and understand where they're at on their journey and where they think they need help. Mm -hmm. And then what we don't, what we, we, we have a, a kind of suite, a menu, an a la carte and a buffet 
that people can choose from. So they can engage and just come on something intensive over two days. Mm. And that is kind of off the shelf. Mm. Most of our deliveries is more of a kind of a la carte. People, we do a diagnostic. We recommend they engage with X, Y, and, and, and B. Uh, and then they, they can kind of choose and, and engage in that way. So mm. it's not it, it's not a set path for everybody that's engaging with this support because nobody's the same. Uh, the ingredients are all the same, but you might end up with slightly different dishes. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we, we, we try and take the time to unpick it, do that diagnostic with the individual, try and work out where they are, where they are can just be first of all understanding what their values are and is this a good fit and 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 before we even start to look at the idea behind the business and whether it's an opportunity and Mm. the value proposition and 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 all of those sorts of kind of business model canvas type kind of concepts so it is very bespoke to the individual no one student graduate member staff engaged with that service will no two will get the same same support it will be completely unique to them we'll try and identify a mentor or a coach, depending on whether you think you really need mentoring or coaching, mm. that's got the right sort of sectoral experience that, that they can relate to. We might even do, in some cases, some kind of disc profile in a personality and trying to line up people from, from that perspective too. So it's about trying to tailor that experience to the individual. Um, a, a huge change that has enabled us to do that only in the last year because we used to have to offer more off-the-shelf service which you know around boot camps and, and being more specific is we didn't have any space for, for our team and our service we had to book spaces on campus and that really limited uh, what we could do and, and how we could do it we, we've subsequently actually rented a retail unit from the university mm-hmm. so, so i'm a member of staff from the university renting a place a space from a university to run my service for the university mm-hmm. uh, which is a bit crazy but you know it's only thirty thousand pounds a year uh, and that's the most high profile retail unit on campus and so everything we do happens in there we can create a community hub around it it's called work in progress it's all all glass windows, really highly mm. visible. So people can't help but, miss, but see us. They can't miss us. They know how to engage. They know where to come in. You know, they're, they're dropping sessions at the same time every week. They, they know where to find us. They know where the delivery is going to take place. They know where they can book the space for their project meetings, etc. So having that kind of physical hub, mm. whereas we, we used to have to run it as more than a, of a kind of electronic hub and community, has made a big difference. And actually, in the first, uh, I, I, pardon me if the statistics aren't 100%, but I, I think it was in the first six weeks of this academic year, we had the same number of people engaged with our service than we did in the whole of last year. That's interesting. I'm just wondering now, I'm thinking out loud whether there might be room for something like what we have, Open Coffee, Krakow, but I'll, I might send you a link to that as something that I might come over in the, at the end of this year and do a pilot and see whether a pilot, think if you've got a space, but I, 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 I don't, in the remaining minutes, I want you to talk. So I might okay. follow up. Follow up. Um, I want, I'd like you to talk just briefly about your business, where, where, because we're, we're, there's a couple of final questions. One is what you're going to be, what your biggest challenges are, and what you're going to be doing in five or ten years' life, five or ten years' time, if things go the way you, they, you want them to go. The other thing is. Um, what um, your business is like, what scale is it scale it's at, and what your plans are for that? Will you exit it, or will it? Might it be a billion dollar company in, in five years time, or, or what? And those are three questions. But if you could take them in whatever order you like, I'll, I'll, I'll try and link them, Richard. I, I suppose I, I'm really. I mean, I, I'm quite um, clued up in terms of what my values are and what kind of matters to me, and I do try and spend a lot of time kind of thinking and planning. So, you know, the old adage around business, don't don't plan to fail, don't fail to plan. So I, I apply that to myself and do life all of it on, on a regular basis. So I'm really well suited to being a portfolio worker. I like to be doing lots of different things. I could not just have a job of work. I'm not even sure I could be tied down with one business. Uh, so the other thing that's really important to me is I've touched on a few times is unlock, unlocking the potential of others. So even if I'm not, looking at the whites of their eyes and, and, and actually coaching someone individually, although, of course, I do that. Everything that I try and do is about trying to create the environment so that my teams can provide the best possible service to their customers and, and, and clients around enterprise education, around consultancy support at the university, etc. So, 
for me, actually, where do I want to be in kind of five years' time? I want to be doing more of the same and, and, and enabling that in, 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 in more people, so increasing the kind of scale and, and scope of that sort of activity. So I'd want to be involved with uh, you know, EUK or a similar organisation that's, that's enabling that and sharing best practice. I'd want to probably still be working in a university setting to, in some degree because I really like the university kind of setting. But I'd definitely be wanting to do some other uh, kind of private sector challenges, maybe some some other new businesses. I've got one I'm working on at the moment, which is a sports car rental business. Um, so I would want to be a portfolio worker because that's really what kind of makes me tick. What I'd probably like to do more of as well is on the policy driving kind, kind of area. So through EUK and other organisations, uh, I want to try and be influencing policy a little bit more. Uh, I've got coffee with uh, one of the lords of the House of Lords next week, who's actually our patron lord, Karen Billamore, who's the chairman of Cobra Beer. Um, you know, so he was also heading up that APBG and kind of entrepreneurship. You must, so, you, you must mention the Cambridge link there, because he gave, yes, he gave yes. a talk in my college at uh, Cambridge. I remember say so he gave a great speech. I remember his speech from 30 years ago very well. Tell Fantastic. Him, <laughs> tell him, but do pass that on. I, I, will, I will pass that on. I think it's next week I'm actually meeting uh, so it's really that, that's something I'm really passionate now is, is trying to capture all these experiences and try and help shape future policy because the UK UK is a great at the moment anyway we're in the European Union disclaimer uh, is a great place to live work and play uh, but still has an awful lot of potential uh, and so you know pol- driving policy is something that, that that's really really important to me and I have an interest in politics so maybe there might be something around kind of politics in the future as well. Uh, but portfolio working really because I, I, I like working in large organisations, I like starting businesses, I like working in change-based organisations that, that try and drive policy uh, and drive development in that area and I don't think I'd want to give up any one of those three things uh, so I don't, I don't, I'm the sort of person that doesn't need to fit into a box uh, and I think I'll still be about the same person but I'll make sure I take the time to regularly kind of reflect on, on you know, my values, reflect on my kind of life orbit and make sure that that's still kind of making me holistic and, and kind of happy. But at this point in, in time, Richard, I think that, that'd be, it'd almost be like more of the same, maybe supercharged. And any, any challenges, that, you're, that anything that you're struggling with at the moment that anyone listening maybe can help you with? Or, you know, is there anything that's difficult that is particularly bugging you now? So a, a, anyone who can help with that, that, that policy uh, perspective, anyone that can help internationally in terms of good practice of enterprise education or enterprise and innovation support at universities, sharing good practice there would be really keen to, to hear from people. Um, and, and but, but also, I suppose, if anyone wants to kind of contact me, I, I get a lot out of helping others. You, you probably worked that out by now. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I like to try and help people, obviously, managing expectations about kind of fitting it in etc but yeah any any of those kind of areas around kind of learning from you and sharing good practice i'd be really keen to talk to, to people around enterprise education uh, around enterprise innovation support at universities whether that's commercialization consultancy those sorts of activities because they sit into my re- remit and interest area too and i touched on the, the kind of policy perspective but of course uh, I, I, i'd ask people to to look up the, the conference and and if you are an enterprise educator, uh, try and try and engage with that conference and, and come and see me there and, and, and buy me a beer. <laughs> what a good way to end. John, uh, this is actually, interestingly for our listeners, this is the first conversation we've ever had. We, we've literally yeah. never spoken to each other before today. I, I feel like, you know, it's almost like we're soulmates from, from, <laughs> from different parents. Um, but the... Uh, and the, the rationale of this whole podcast is to have an interesting conversation with people doing interesting things and then share it with a wider audience. So I'd almost say this is a reference interview, a reference <laughs> conversation. I'm, I'm really pleased with it. I'm sure we're going to stay in touch. And um, all I can say is from both from myself, Richard, here in Krakow in Poland and from all the Project Kazimierz listeners, thank you very much indeed for your time. Uh, it's, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for listening to another episode of Project Kashmir, brought to you by me, your host, Richard Lucas. If you enjoyed listening, check out additional podcasts on our webpage, projectkashmir.com, or on iTunes, where you can also subscribe so you never miss an episode, and also leave us a five-star review if you feel like it. We welcome feedback and suggestions of new interviewees, whether as comments on projectkashmir.com or via our page on Facebook.
This podcast was produced by Adam Zuber. Thank you again for listening. You know, vision is all great and well, but execution is actually the key. The actual process of meeting those people, working with them, is in itself a huge reward. Interaction between the university and the business high-tech community is absolutely fundamental. Diversity creates a healthy ecosystem, and I think that I'm seeing more and more that diversity. It's not just about individuals, but it's about new individuals, it's about, you know, um, new initiatives. Sometimes they overlap with each other, sometimes they might be cannibalizing each other. But the reality is that you want to have as many as possible, because that accelerates the big picture. We're not going to have everyone in the world here, and in this connected world, we don't need everyone here. But, but the, the, you know, the artists and the designers, the creatives, they're very much part of what we what we've got and what we need so if you're listening again somewhere else in the world and you feel you, you're looking for a place where your, your your creative juices will run then 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 this city is certainly a place where you can find yourself and I think you can make history in Poland I think you can be part of something much bigger than you could be a part of in the United States right now not just from a you know going out to San Francisco to make Silicon Valley richer, but but making a new part of the world um, grow at a much faster rate, be a much bigger part of that community and, and making it wealthy, not just for wealth's sake, but for uh, a purpose, which is to make that country's government stronger.